Welcome to Sudbury Scrub, a 40k podcast for the Sudbury community, season 4. And I had a match the other day versus uh, Mr. Green again, and his, this time not his Dark Eldar, this time he's like, okay, alright, I want to try out some other things during 9th, I'm going to try out my Astra Militarum. And he's like, I'm going to try to do a bunch of infantry supported by some tanks. He called his list the infantry list, and it still had nine vehicles in it. <laughs> um, that's the way. That's what you do as a guard. It, it's true. But I had kind of done a, a similar thing. I had said to myself, you know what? I'm so scared to take infantry. Every time I've taken infantry, it's been bad. But every time I've tried to take infantry, I've been trying to do it. Um, kind of what I would do beforehand. And I figured, okay, you know what? I'll do something similar. I'm also going to take a bunch of infantry. And I'm going to take them in the MSU way that they're kind of talking about. A lot of my squads are still 10-man squads. I did have two 5-man squads just to help fit in transports. Uh, but otherwise, I'm going to do a very different strategy for the Dinosaur Cult. I'm going to play the Cult to be more like guard that have the bonus of having more Dean Strike. And let's see how it goes. So, uh, I'll give you guys the quick recap right now, like I've been trying to do. So, we played the Data Intercept mission. Uh, So this is the mission that has six objective points. It's got one in each of your uh, deployment zones, which are the diagonal deployment. And then in the band of No Man's Land across the middle are four objective markers. Very importantly, for this mission, somewhat uniquely across the missions. Okay, I'm, I'm going through this because this the lights are not turning. Alright, um, somewhat uniquely across the missions, this one requires that you hold two objective markers in order to score one, uh, uh, the first five victory points of your primary three markers, three or more markers, to score the next five points, and still the hold more than your opponent to score the third five. Um, so, you know, very different from the uh, hold one, hold two kind of objective from before. And that's one of the things I've been saying over and over again is score those primaries. You know, hold two objectives all the time. Well, in this case, for this mission, you really want to be holding three. <laughs> and that's not going to be easy, because that does mean you have to spread out. Now, at the same time, do you really have to spread out? Not terribly. With the way that the objectives are placed, um, two of them are exceedingly close together, no matter where you are on the board. So, there's never a long distance between these markers. Um, so, really, if you can hold your home one, and then just two of the ones that are close together, then you're go- then you're golden, and you'll get your three. So, still not actually that much different um, if you play from that concept of it. Uh, I ended up, so the battlefield that we did, we had, I'm going to be a little bit slower on this one because I got lots of time. I got a, a longer drive today. Uh, so the battlefield, we had set up a sky shield landing pad right in the middle of the board. We put its vein, we put its uh, side blast veins up, um, and we said that this structure was going to be obscuring. 
whether or not that's normally how you would play it, that's what we said, that's what this is in this mission. And we put a bunch of other stuff around it to kind of try to block off the bottom of it. So that's one of the nice, that's one of the things we also like doing with this structure is making it that you can't walk underneath it, uh, which just makes it a very, just works very differently when you, from how you would normally play this train piece. It's a very confusing train piece if you don't do this, I find. Uh, although maybe not in the new rules. We haven't actually tried it that way in the new rules yet. Uh, it was surrounded, like I said, by other things that we did played as being uh, uh, two big hills that we put some stuff onto, saying that those hills would be dense if you shot over them. Um, we had craters that went then between these hills to the edge of the board, which wasn't very large, but... So, that, again, that tells you just how big these hills in this Sky Shield landing pad are in context of the rest of the, uh, of the rest of the board. Uh, what's that? Just doing it like this, we were already to the edge of the board. And, yeah, those craters went, were there, so there were two craters on e either side. We had uh, some other hills, again, that were dense a little bit more towards the corners. We had a set of three ruins on each side on each other corner um and then lastly we had a the, uh, the tall bastion literally nestled into the corner uh the opposite corners of the ruins uh which just really served to shrink the board a little bit further right there because you couldn't none of our guys really wanted to ever be on top of that or would ever get there they were out of our deployment zone because those were in the no man's land corners um so yeah, nine, we had 18 pieces of terrain on the board. One, one shot. <laughs> um, but definitely, it was a lot of stuff on the board to really help create the amount of terrain. The amount of terrain in 9th edition is just so important to how the game plays. Um, and I really love that Games Workshop has said, hey, we want you playing with this amount of terrain. It's an amount of terrain that Aaron and I have always enjoyed playing with. We always really like train-dense boards. We find that they're they're really in, intriguing. Uh, but a lot of people didn't really care for them because they felt like they got in the way a bunch. And uh, Games Workshop saying, no, we, we want your terrain to get in the way. That's kind of the idea. It changes the dynamic of the game. And so, especially now, with there being so many pieces of terrain, uh, when you play your game, it's really helpful when you try to envision, all right, where are, where is the conflict going to happen here on the table? Where are our battle points? Where, where are we going to end up clashing? Um, you know, when it's Gene Stiller Cult versus Dark Eldar, the answer is everywhere. Wherever there are units, <clears throat> that's where the fighting's going to happen because everything kind of was, pops up against each other and it is just a bloodbath everywhere. Uh, when it is like this game here, uh, I was really able to say, okay, there's really just going to be two points of the board that we're going to be fighting over. It was going to be uh, the no man. It was going to be at the no man's land um, objective marker closest to the sky shield on the on the north side and on or on the northwest side and on the southeast side. It's going to be those two points and trying to you know, which side is going to try to wrap around the other. And so, you 
you want to try to make a battle plan that's based off of that. Uh, so for my battle plan, or for Aaron, let's start with Aaron's battle plan. Uh, I think Aaron's battle plan was he had a, a big group of Bulgren, 10 Bulgren, or maybe it was 9 Bulgren, uh, that were going to really be a, a hard unit to to knock down. Very tough. Lots of wounds. Infantry. They were going to be a pain, and he knew that. So he was probably planning on making a choice as to which way those Bulgren were going to move. Um, and try to force either combat over there or force me to stay away from wherever they went. So that was, going, that was likely going to be uh, his battle plan with those. Uh, meanwhile, tanks would kind of move to whichever point was... They were going to mostly stay at the back, I think, and try to uh, just lend fire support over to that engagement point. Uh, and then the infantry would just uh, push up and onto those points repetitiously to push me off of those points. And I, I think that was his general plan. And in 8th edition, I think that would be a great plan. I think you might be able to detect a slight issue with that plan for 9th edition. Um, my plan was very, very, very similar. Though. Me, I had some... I didn't have a whole lot of firepower because I'm James Cook-Belt. But I was going to put my firepower pieces into some positions where they could support my infantry. My infantry were... I was going to try to uh, start on the objectives and then because I knew I was going to be faster in that regard, once I had those positions, I was just going to try to keep that battle line back towards Aaron's deployment zone uh, so that he couldn't just physically get to the objective markers. And that if I was able to do that, if I was, if my things were going really, really well, um, then, you know, I would eventually just be able to push in towards them. If wherever the Bulgrins went, I would retreat on that side after scoring, uh, you know, points out, scoring points once. Then from that side, I would retreat. Um, and then just focus on those ones and just, and then just be a thorn on Aaron's whatever that other front was, where I would just like, oh, and you don't start in control of that objective. Oh, and you don't start in control of that objective. I would never hold that objective, but I would just always contest and gain long. Meanwhile, I would still have my three. Um, so yeah, that, that was my plan on there. And again, like I said, supported, very similar to his, supported by something in the back. For me, I also had my bully units. I had a, a core of Gene Steeler cult characters. Normally, I would... So, this is where I was doing things very, very differently. Normally, I would take my Gene Stowe cult and I would cult ambush a shit ton of stuff, including the characters, to come out and start, you know, causing damage. Um, because that's where... That's what their profiles are good at doing. That's, you know, they have those extra good abilities to, to zoom into things. Uh, however... That's not what I wanted to do 
today. Today I was saying, okay, I'm going to try to do something different. I'm going to start with these things on the table and just help use them to bully out an area so that Aaron's going to be scared to engage a certain place because he's going to see those guys and he's going to say, okay, I can only go this way or I can only go that way. I don't want to engage those guys. Meanwhile, those guys would actually have some help with their abilities. Uh, you know, Patriarch making my guys fearless near him so that I wasn't worried about uh, losing anybody from um, attrition or morale. Having a Keller Morph on, start just on the table um, so that he could kill some guys and, again, give a bonus then to shooting with some of my other dudes. Um, a Locust give a minus one leadership bubble to my opponent to make it that one when he does crash into me hopefully I can just make him fail his leadership a little bit easier and uh, he also helps to protect some of those other guys Primus to just score command points which he ended up not doing all game made a bunch of rolls for him never got a five or a six with him that's okay really he was there because I I wanted to field a brigade because <laughs> I had so many troop units um by fielding a brigade, I was able to conserve my command points the most. Strange that, eh? <clears throat> um, yeah, so it that ended up really working out well. It kind of worked almost exactly to plan. Uh, I ended up getting the first turn. And put my, um, got my forces right into Aaron's face, but not into Aaron's face with the purpose of killing things, just into his face with the purpose of holding him back. So because of that, I was able to kind of focus some firepower, my limited firepower, um, onto things that I normally would entirely shoot at, like I was shooting heavy weapons stuff at basic infantry, just because I needed his infantry to not be threatening certain points of the battlefield. I was very concerned that he was going to move the Bulgrin um, in one direction. He ended up moving them in a different direction, I think, towards kind of his battle plan of just, well, I'm going to keep Davis away to, from, from a certain spot. Um, but either way, whichever way he was going to move, I was going to kind of duck out in the opposite direction. And in so doing, I just I threw up roadblocks with my I had three units of acolytes that were in cult ambush. They would just pop up three inches away from him and just move block him and just say, yeah, here's this line of guys. Have fun killing them, but you're, because killing happens after movement, you're not moving past them. And so the Bulgrin just kind of got trapped by these little squishy guys that they had no problems dealing with, but unfortunately would just have to stick around to deal with. Um, and that happened two turns in a row. Finally, he got his Bulgrin. He ended up deking out the other opposite direction, so he did end up having to waste a turn effectively with the Bulgrin going in one direction when it's like, oh, that's not going to work. Okay, I'll go the other way. Um, and he was able to cause some good damage with them, but ultimately the Patriarch was able to take them down using the uh, um, overthrow the oppressor's stratagem for the Bladed Cog getting lots of extra hits, which is a big, big deal. And I even forgot to uh, properly apply something I got on the Bulbergrin. I got the massive Gnosis off on them. 
and we didn't even play it that they had anything on them when they charged in. Um, otherwise, they would have fought last, and they would have been at minus one. So they would have had fewer attacks, and those attacks wouldn't have been as accurate. I would have lost a lot less stuff at that point. Um, however, one of the fun, interesting things about the game at the end, so the game ended uh, 85 um, to... Uh, you know what? The app says 53. I'm actually going to go ahead and say it was probably 55 uh, because I think Aaron killed more models. We didn't count it up. We just knew that it wouldn't make a difference. So we didn't fully count up. Uh, for me, he had selected kill my vehicles. So bring it down. He had selected um, thin their ranks. Just try to kill off all my hordes of stuff. Uh, and he had selected the data intercept. Uh, ability. Uh, sorry, secondaries. And he got some points off of data. He got points on it on all of those secondaries, but he got um, he got no primary points all game except the very last turn. Last turn, he got 15 points. Uh, every other turn of the game, he got zero victory points. So that re that's really what crushed him. His secondaries, he ended up scoring, like I said, quite, quite well, because he did almost table me. I was almost completely dead by the end of the game. But... I happen to die in the right spots. Um, I wouldn't say that my rolls are really anything special. I got a, a couple of good ones with um, a couple of early hit rolls really well onto some of his guys. And that was it, honestly. Like, in terms of, of being lucky, I, I don't think I, I was especially lucky. I got. Uh, the main lucky points was two times where I had vehicles that he caused like eight or ten wounds to, and I made two six-up feel-no-pains to keep my guy around. Um, and so that that was probably the, the luckiest that I got there, which, yeah, is kind of generally, I would say, like, all right, there we go. I got, I got some good stuff. Um, I don't think Aaron was overly lucky either. I think he had very standard luck. I don't think he was he wasn't uh, passing or failing a whole ton of stuff. I think it was very, very average. Um, and just by being able to be in the right spots, I was able to move block my way to victory. And just by identifying these are the points where we're going to be fighting. Put units in the way. He can fight there all he wants. But if he can't actually kill the things that are... If he can't actually get through these spots, then it doesn't matter. Uh, my... I had my primary points. I had... Uh, my secondaries were entirely based on those victory point, uh, Those uh, objective markers as well. Um, I took the data intercept, which I... Uh, I think I maxed out. I took raise the banners high. Which I also maxed out. Which is crazy. Uh, and I took Domination, which I didn't max out, but I think I still got 12 on it. 12 or 13 on that one. Um, no, you it's impossible to get 13. I must have gone 12. Yeah, that's right, because you can score 3 each time, so I got 12 on it. I didn't score it on the last turn, but I scored it every other turn. So, again, that's kind of just hidden home primaries, objectives. If you have a list that's really, really, really based on holding objectives... That's good. It's just to do what you do, but just more so. Um, if it's going to work. If it's, we'll see how things go. I do think that the first player has a big advantage right now. 
in just getting to places when there are these objectives on the board. Um, yeah, being the first player is very, very, very helpful. <clears throat> Whereas when you're the last player and it's the... So as you can see here, I was really actually dead by the end of turn four. But by that point, he only has a single turn to score primaries. So that didn't really matter. And at the end of my, the end of my turn four, I'd still scored everything I needed to score. So turn, yeah, turn one is all the setup. You got to start trying to win turn one if you are that kind of army. If you are playing to win on the end of the game, it is a big risk because there's not a lot of turns. You need to start winning. You need to start winning at the end of your turn two. So you start scoring those points on turn three. So there you go. There you go. Well, I'm just about at my location now. I think um, I'd like to chat more about move blocking and identifying those spots. And try to say, hey, because in this one I did do a, cu a couple of other little cute things. The main thing, like I said, though, was just having models in the way of the path of where my opponent's models are going to go. And it only worked because he had stuff that didn't fly. Well, as soon as you have fly, that totally just kills that. <laughs> you just can't do that. Um, so, you know... Also, there are things like uh, putting vehicles in the way of things so that they can't see other things behind you. Changing things like that. Changing your... And especially with more terrain-heavy boards, that's something that you can do more because they already can't see as much stuff. So blocking off their vision further by the... Uh, just by the percentage, you're blocking off a, a greater percentage of their field of vision. So it is, it's worth a lot. All right. Well, thank you for listening. This is a fun episode. I enjoyed it. Uh, the Sudbury Scrub. And I'm going to try to change up my call sign at the end here. Instead of saying, uh, uh, you know, keep on wargaming, I'm going to say, uh, and uh, keep, keep holding two objectives. Hold two objectives all day, every day. <laughs> Take care, folks.